Uh, good morning, everyone. Um, today, uh, I'm going to go over chapter four, uh, which is titled Rational Choice Theory. Sounds pretty boring, but actually it's not. You know, um, well, from a sociologist's point of view, um, it's not boring. Uh, there are things within the scope of this chapter that I think, or I hope, that you find interesting. And certainly things that I, I don't believe y- you would totally know. You may know some of it, but but uh, some uh, interesting things happen here. So rational choice, what the heck is that all about? You know, the rational choice theory. Uh, the concepts of rational choice. And if we go quickly to page 101, um, it tells us the concepts of rational choice, and it's a very uh, direct statement of information uh, that our uh, author, um, Dr. Siegel, gives us. And if I may uh, give you that. Something to remember, not to memorize. According to the temporary rational choice theory, law-violating behavior is the product of careful thought and planning. It assumes that people are self-interested and willing, and will be willing to violate the law after considering both personal factors such as money, revenge, thrills, and entertainment, and situational factors. Such as target availability, security measures, and police presence. Anyone is a potential criminal if they calculate that the profits are great and the risks are small. The basic idea of Russian choice. They plan it out. Almost all people who are criminals go through this process. Now, the only ones that are not are the ones who are mentally unstable. Sociopaths, although they do plan things out. People who do not have that rational theory, they only have this one scenario that they go through. But rational thought on the rational theory of a criminal is certainly what I just stated. It goes on at the bottom um, of this page. It tells us a little about uh, people who commit crime. And it talks about burglars in the uh, third paragraph down here, um, uh, actually the second paragraph on the evaluating the risks of, of crimes, of crime, I should say. Burglars seem to choose targets on the basis of their value, novelty, and resale potential. A piece of electronic gear that has not yet saturated the market and still remains high value, such as a new generation iPhone may be a prime target. The decision to commit crime is enhanced by the promise of easy gain with low risk. 
In contrast, the decision to forego crime is reached when the potential criminal believes that the risks outweigh the rewards. And it gives us some examples. One, they stand a good chance of getting caught and being punished. That makes sense. They fear the consequences of punishment, mostly jail. They risk losing the, the respect of their peers, damage reputations and feelings of, of guilt and shame. And lastly, the, the risk of apprehension outweighs the profit and or pleasure. Now that's a contrast. The, the rational choice people on the rational choice theory of criminals is the complete opposite of that as I read just before uh, I read the contrast. Rational choice criminals believe that the chance to, to gain by means of illegal measures outweighs the scenario of possible jail, arrest, and be involved in the criminal justice system. So they do believe the bad outweighs the good here. Okay. It goes on and says offense-specific, offender-specific. This is kind of interesting because it gives us, a, a, again, a series of, <clears throat> excuse me, of different uh, situations here. Rational choice people, this is on page, by the way, 102. Rational choice theorists view crime as both offense-specific and offender-specific. Crime is said to be offense-specific because offenders react selectively to the immediate characters of a specific crime act. Take, for instance, the decision to commit a burglary. Again, potential offenders might consider the evaluation of the target, the probability of security, police patrol effectiveness, likelihood of apprehension, ease of selling stolen merchandise, present of occupants, neighbors who might notice a break-in, presence of a guard dog, escape routes, entry points and exits. That's what the rational person thinks about. It's not some guy just walking down the street and says, geez, I think I'll break into that place. They study that place. They study when people leave. They study to see where the police presence is. They study the neighbors next door. They study how to get in and how to get out without being noticed. What are the valuables in there? Is it worth it? And the fear of uh, uh, the possibility of being arrested. So that all to me means something. Goes on to talk, talk about about the uh, structuring of criminality on page one hundred three, and um, just briefly, economic need and opportunity, which is the last portion of this page. 
Uh, one important decision that people make, it says, before they embark on a life of crime is whether they need the money. They need to commit economic crimes. Uh, it diminishes when people are able to obtain needed funds in a legitimate fathom, fact, uh, fashion, either through jobs or government assistance. Other potential offenders simply may have money problems. They're in debt. The creditors are hounding them. They have nowhere else to turn. Crime may be an attractive alternative when people have little faith in the economy or believe there is little hope of advancement in the legitimate economy. Now, I don't think like that. I always strive to do something different. Never had those particular thoughts. But I certainly have studied them. And I certainly have witnessed it in the, in the employment I've had over the years. Uh, we're going to go back to Burgley from this one last spot on page 103. The FBI reports that the average take from a burg burglary is now a little more than $2,300 per crime. Robberies on average $1,200. Uh, bank robberies $3,800. Despite the risk earning $2,000 from a burglary that takes an hour is alluring to someone whose alternative is making minimum wage in a fast food restaurant. I mean, that's the rational idea. Some people get into that thought pattern. Are there more today than they were 20 years ago? There's some, some uh, statistics out there that say um, that that's true because of the state of the economy now. And, of course, 20 years ago, the state of the economy wasn't really good either. But there's different ways of doing things now. We have the Internet and we have all these different devices that we can figure out, our criminals can figure out the easiest way to gain money through burglary. It goes on, talks about structuring of crime on page um, 104, choosing the, pl the place, choosing targets. Getting Away, which is on page 105. Now, those particular subdivisions of the structuring of crime, I've just gone over just a bit, but read those things. The structuring of crime, obviously, you choose, you choose the place if you're a criminal. And that's thought out. Because the place you choose is the place that you have been uh, checking out for the last week, two weeks, three weeks, a month, however long, to make that score, to steal that product. The idea of choosing the targets of where they would be. Oh, or is it cash or is it goods? 
and then getting away. That's if you got all this other, all these other factors all covered, and you don't have an escape route, or you're not, you're not going to, um, uh, so you won't be caught. Then that's okay. But if you, if your getaway plan stinks, then you're going to get arrested, or someone's going to see you, or they're going to pick you up on the street because someone identified you. Those three factors mean something, and that's because of the idea of how criminals think. Now it goes on to um, talk about, on page 106, is crime truly rational? Just briefly. And, um, Dr. Siegel says this pretty well, too. It is relatively easy to show that some crimes are a product of rational, uh, a rational objective, thought, especially when they involve an ongoing criminal conspiracy centered around economic gains, such as a chop shop scheme discussed um, uh, earlier uh, in this chapter, which I did not go over. Street robbers are likely to choose victims who are vulnerable, have low uh, coercive power, and do not pose any threat. They size up their prey and get ready to use violence if the target appears to be streetwise. They evaluate you. That's what criminals do. Scientific study of human behavior, which is the forerunner of uh, criminology, this is what they do. How about drug use? Is that rational? It talks about uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman. You'll see his picture on the left, a well-known actor years ago. Um, Died in... 2014, and it says here, and I'm going to just read it uh, just very briefly. Did Oscar winner actor Philip Seymour Hoffman make an objective, rational choice to overdose on heroin? Did Prince choose the overdose of the opioid fentanyl? Did rising star Heath Ledger make a rational choice when he abused prescription drugs to the point that it killed him. And what about British singer Amy Winehouse? Did she choose to drink herself to death? Or the king of pop, Michael Jackson, who died of acute uh, propofol in uh, benzodiapine intoxication, drugs? Is it possible that these and other drug users are a group not usually associated with the clear thinking uh, make rational choices. Did they do that? I want you to read the rest of that. I want them to give you a taste of what these people did. 
because it doesn't matter where you are on the economic scale, all but the idea that people at the top can buy anything they want. But when it comes to rational choice theory, they're like any other criminal, are they not? Read those last two paragraphs and tell me what you think. Is violence rational? The idea of having a violent episode. Is it possible that that violent acts, this is page 108, uh, are the product of reasoned decision um, of reasoned decision making? Evidence confirms this, that violent criminals, even serial killers, select suitable targets by picking people who are vulnerable and lack adequate defenses. Should make some type of understanding, whether you believe it's correct or incorrect. It's understanding what the author is telling us. Goes on to say, uh, close to the bottom here, um, third paragraph, it says, in some instances, instances, however, targets are chosen in order to send a message. And there's all different types of uh, provocations that happen with this. And mostly three types of provocations. Market-related robberies emerge from disputes involving partners in trade, rivals of generalized predators. Status-based violations involve encounters in which the robber's essential character or values have been challenged. And finally, uh, personalistic violations flow from incidents in which the robber's Autonomy or sense of value has been jeopardized. These ideas that uh, Dr. Siegel brings out to us are all the ideas of why people become violent and they think it's rational. Hate crimes. Hate crimes. How can they be rational? Can hate crimes possibly be rational? Hard to believe, but uh, when uh, Ryan King and Gretchen Sudo examined the characteristics of an outbreak of hate crimes, they found that three factors seem to trigger these events. This is at the bottom of 108. This is very important. The incident that leaves one group with a, with a grievance against another. A definable target group held responsible for the deed and publicly uh, and publicity sufficient to make the event known to a broad uh, public. All these are signs of rationality. Hate crimes, then, are not merely the product of a disturbed mind, but rather a calculated response to a concrete event whose impact is often fanned and flamed by the media. I take some exception to that. I understand what the what uh, Doctor Siegel is saying, but I can't wrap my arms around 
the American Nazi Party and the disdain for black America. I can't put my arms around the KKK, the Ku Klux Klan, that still uh, survives today um, and is gaining in popularity. And their goal of hating people of color. So I take exception to some of that. But are there calculated responses for hate crimes? The Nazi party believes that they, they certainly calculate it. The KKK certainly calculate it. Skinheads certainly calculate it. So as much as I may have the idea of how much I dislike those groups, unfortunately, they have a means to their own end. I don't appreciate it. I uh, will lecture against it as much as I can. But they do have a scenario here. And finally, under this rationale, the scenario, is sex crime rational? Are men who solicit sex workers rational decision makers? Recent research by Thomas Holt and his colleagues found that there are not only not only do Johns make careful and rational decisions when engaging prostitutes, they shared their knowledge and exposure in the internet chat rooms and web forums. Topics range from what kind of car to drive, to how to avoid the police stops, to how to support undercover policewomen posing as street workers, and some Johns suggesting that policewomen look more attractive and healthier than the average sex worker. In addition, to avoid law enforcement, John share information on how to protect themselves from becoming crime victims, such as finding spots for their sexual encounters that minimize the likelihood of I was robbed by a pimp. I don't support prostitution. I don't support any man going out, driving around, trying to pick up a woman or a man for a sexual encounter. Not me. That's my personal view. But is there a rational choice for these people to go and pick up females? Dr. Siegel says yes. I agree. I don't like it. Because you can pass on transmittable diseases. You don't know that person, be it a man or a woman. You don't know where they've been. You don't know what they have. And you indiscriminately go out. Is a sex crime rational? For certain people, yes.
It goes on, talks about uh, crime prevention strategies on pages 111. Um, trying to get to a particular spot here. Um, 111 and 112, it talks about um, the increased effort and need needed to commit crime, the increased risk of committing crime. On page 112, the reduce reduce the rewards of crime, um, induce guilt, increase shame, reduce provocation, and remove excuses. All of those things mean something. I'm not going to go over each and every one. I've been talking for a while, and I don't want you to fall asleep. But go over those. Again, uh, the idea of, of the strategies that people use, be it the criminal or law enforcement, or the state of the economy, which gives us a little more in the area of uh, reducing rewards for crime. Um, I want you to know those things. It's only a couple of pages. It's not very long. What are the general deterrents to crime? What happens if you're off caught? Or what are you thinking about when you are caught? According, uh, on page 114, according to the rational choice view, because human beings are self-interested, rational, and reasoning, they will violate the law if they do not fear the consequence. After all, crime left un- unchecked can bring profit and pleasure. It stands to reason that the crime can be controlled by increasing the real or perceived threat of criminal punishment. And that's the idea of what a general deterrence is. The idea that uh, crime can be controlled by the by increasing the real or perceived threat of criminal punishment. The real threat and what they may say to you that might happen to you. So there's two things. On the next page, it talks about certainty of punishment. A number of research efforts uh, do show that the direct relationship between crime rates and the certainty of punishment. And although the issue is far from settled, people who believe that they will get caught if they commit a crime are the ones more, most likely to be deterred from committing a criminal act. So they're rational, but they're also understanding. I don't want to get caught, and there's a possibility, a percentage of uh, that I might get caught. I'm not doing that. Certainly increases when police officers are active, aggressive, crime fighters, convincing would-be criminals that the risk of apprehension outweighs any benefits. Proactive, aggressive law enforcement seems more effective than routine patrol. Would-be criminals are 
deterred when police concentrate their forces and focus on so-called hot spots of crime. And I think we see that in all cities, towns, around the Commonwealth and throughout the nation. Certain police presence in certain places, more in others than, uh, than, in, than some others. The severity of punishment, please read that, because that's all part of this whole idea of punishment and deterrence. You know, the severity of the punishment is going to either make you not do it or that you don't care and you're going to do it anyway. Okay, and um, although there's a few other things that I wanted to go over, um, there is one thing um, that I want you to, actually two things I want you to read, and both of them very important. If I can get to them, just give me a second. On page 116... On the policies and issues, does the death penalty discourage murder? Read that. It's about three or four paragraphs. Tell me what your evaluation is. I want to know. And the other one is uh, on page 122. Racial disparity in state prisons. We don't have to go uh, searching too long to figure this out. Approximately 20 to 25 percent, um, maybe a little more, of the population of this country are people of color, black or brown. They constitute at least at a minimum of 40% of the population in prisons. They're 20 to 30% and they're 40 plus percent in jail. Well, what does that tell us? An important little reading for you. Please read it and understand it as best as you can. Okay. Uh, those are the highlights. Please read them. Uh, next week, um, I'll have a couple of discussion questions. Um, and I'll ask you to choose one. You have till tomorrow to finish our first quiz. Uh, make sure it's passed in tomorrow. I appreciate your time and your patience. And have a great weekend. Finish those quizzes. And... Um, I'll be talking to you early next week about uh, a discussion assignment. Thank you very much. Be safe. Be healthy.